Mark Carney is the head of the UK's Monetary Policy Committee and the governor of the Bank of England. Last week at the Central Banker Gathering in Jackson Hole, he sent shockwaves through the cryptocurrency community with his positive comments on Libra. He pointed out that using the US dollar as a reserve currency in the international monetary and financial system creates problems and distortions, and instead, he suggested a Libra-like cryptocurrency to serve as a transactional reserve asset. With this, perhaps we can say endorsement from an establishment central banker, the cryptocurrency prices streamed higher. I'm going to look at Libra in general and then his comments and tell you what I think. But first, please subscribe. We are not going to have a smooth financial future and the only way to get notified when I post a comment is to subscribe. Don't be the last one to figure out what's going on. I'm Ken Bauso. I'm a CFA charter holder. I spent my career on Wall Street and in the financial markets, and I do this podcast to talk about finance and economic issues in a way that can be understood by everyone, even if you're not a financial professional. When I deposit money into my bank account, the bank credits my account with dollars, and then I know that the bank takes my dollars and it uses it to buy things or make a loan. For example, it might buy a treasury bill. This is invisible to me, but I know that the bank does it. Similarly, when I buy a Libra token as it's envisioned, my money will go into a reserve and that reserve will use the money to buy a basket of the most stable currencies in the world or maybe government debt that is denominated in those currencies. Since the token is backed by a basket of very stable currencies, the Libra tokens themselves will be very stable, which is a big benefit for anything being used as a medium of exchange. To, to talk about medium of exchange, if I'm selling something to my friend and he wants to pay me in Bitcoin, if I don't have an opinion about the short-term price of Bitcoin, I might be reluctant to accept Bitcoin as a means of payment because the, the price, the dollar price of Bitcoin might drop by 10% before I have an opportunity to sell Bitcoin and get my dollars. So stability is a big benefit for a medium of exchange. Once you own the Libra tokens, you'll be able to spend it electronically. The apps and the tools might be different and new, but essentially it's like whenever you buy something in dollars when you don't use actual cash right now. Okay. So people talk about it as a cryptocurrency. It's not really a cryptocurrency because I would say three foundational features of cryptocurrency is that it's trust minimized, it's decentralized, and it's permissionless. Well, Libra is centralized. It's not decentralized. You will be trusting the association that governs Libra, and you will need permission from them to open an account. And when spending Libra, you'll be inherently asking permission to transfer the Libra token, and that will be subject to a blizzard of global banking and security regulations. So even if Libra uses blockchain, it's probably not truly a cryptocurrency. Libra will use a permissioned blockchain. The association will control who runs the nodes. Facebook says its, quote, ambition is for Libra to be permissionless, okay? It's, it's ambition. So let's just, we'll assume that it's a permissioned blockchain at the moment. It's run by, it will be run by, a, by the Libra Association, which is currently 28 members, but is envisioned to be 100 members. 
The association will decide the composition of the reserve basket, where to invest the reserve money, and how much risk to accept. So that's basically like a bank. When I deposit money into the bank, some people at the bank decide what to do with the money. Okay. In this case, that is the Libra Association. So the benefits of, for, for something like Libra is it avoids the archaic payment networks like SWIFT, for example. It can have a low transaction cost. It can serve the unbanked people in the world, which is estimated to be anywhere from 1.7 to 1.8 billion people. People who live in regimes with an unstable or depreciating local currencies, this can give them a stable place to put their savings. It will be fast, 1,000 transactions a second, which is impediment to a decentralized system. Bitcoin can process, I think it's something like seven transactions per second. And when I think about the fact that Facebook has 2.4 billion users, then, then this could be, this could be pretty cool and pretty amazing. Um, my first thought about it, frankly, was I thought, well, who cares? It's another crypto, but it's worse because it doesn't have a bunch of the crypto features I just highlighted. Obviously, it's Facebook, it's going to be centralized in some way, plus the other things I mentioned. But then I realized that it's also like a special drawing right, an SDR it's called, but a transactional SDR. Okay, so this is actually, this point is super interesting. And this is where the head of the Bank of England comes in. So to just mention what an, what an SDR is, the International Monetary Fund, IMF, uses this thing called an SDR as a reserve asset. It's considered by many to be problematic to use US dollars as a reserve asset. So there's been much thinking and discussion, discussion about it over the decades, but nothing's really changed, right? The US dollar is the reserve currency. It's still the way it is. But the best idea that they've been able to come up with is this special drawing right in SDR. And if you're interested to understand well, what is the problem with using the US dollar as a reserve asset? That's a bit beyond the scope of this video, but if you Google Triffin's Dilemma, Triffin's Dilemma, and you can read up about it, that's, that's one, of the, one of the big problems. Okay, so the IMF came up with the SDR, which is a basket of currencies instead of just the dollar. An SDR has the US dollar, euros, Japanese yen, the pound, and Chinese RMB. Later, the latter was added only in 2015. So that sounds a lot like Libra. When we talk about that currency basket, that sounds a lot like Libra. One important point is that the SDR is a reserve asset only. It's not a medium of exchange. It's not an actual transactional currency. Okay, so now, now to Mark Carney's comments. He argues in, in, his, uh, in his paper, that because the dollar is the reserve asset, this means that central bankers in emerging and developed countries need to hold a large amount of US dollars because dollars are very stable. And they take those dollars and they buy US government treasury bonds. And this creates distortions in the US economy. And those distortions spill over into the rest of the world. Okay, but now if instead we replace a dollar with this Libra-like token, Right? Instead of just the dollar as a reserve currency, we use a basket of the most stable, the world's most stable currencies, a basket. And he's calling that basket a Libra-like token, which he calls a synthetic hegemonic currency, SHC, synthetic hegemonic currency. 
then we could avoid these distortions. So to me, that's a really cool idea. These special drawing rights have been around for a long time, and I always remembered when I was originally looking at the idea, it's a very long time ago, and without it being transactional, it's hard to see how it would really work or certainly how it would overtake the dollar. Okay, so what are the challenges? Peter Thiel made this point in an interview, and I'm paraphrasing, but I think it's relevant here, and so I want to mention it. He said, he was talking about PayPal, and when PayPal was really ramping, he made the point, talking about PayPal, that they just did it. They did not ask for permission from the regulators. Right? It would have taken, I'm sure they were concerned about having years of red tape. They were concerned about it being held up. Nothing like it really existed at the time. Everyone was going to try and figure out what to do about it and not know. They may have lost the first mover advantage. They just ran with it. And then they tried to foster adoption as quickly as they could. And then they dealt with the regulatory issues later. So I think it's clear that in, this, in that scenario, it really worked. That worked well. Bitcoin and other true cryptocurrencies also are not asking for permission. right? The unbanked customers of the world they don't need to respect the borders of countries with different laws. Cryptocurrencies, true, the true cryptocurrencies are permissionless and decentralized. But Libra is asking for permission, right? So we'll see how many different countries put up roadblocks or even have legislatures who think and debate forever and then make all these hoops to jump through. And so this is just an assortment of, 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 some, of, the, of some of the potential problems. So there was a a writer at ETF.com, managing director named David Nadig, who wrote an article who compared Libra to an ETF. Exchange-traded funds have really advanced so much and become very creative in recent years. So for example, there's an exchange-traded fund that you can go on an exchange and buy, just like you would buy a share of Apple. You can buy a fund from, in this example he uses, this Wisdom Tree Emerging Currency Strategy Fund. The symbol is CEF. And what that fund does is it holds a basket of currencies. And so the way that that ETF works is subject to a bunch of, is the way it's managed has a bunch of rules and mechanisms by which they take your money and buy the currencies. Okay, so the point is that this looks a lot like what Libra is doing, which means that the SEC is probably saying, well, if, if we're regulating these ETFs, then maybe we should be the one that's regulating Libra also because it's a similar structure. There's an article in the Wall Street Journal quoting Jonah Crane, former senior Treasury Department official who advises fintech companies on regulatory compliance. He says, quote, they, I assume he means Facebook here, they don't seem to have thought through either the mechanics or the regulatory implications of how the money will flow from users, wallets, and developers into and out of the trust. Okay, so that's not so, that's not so encouraging. Later says, some platforms offer digital wallet services to hold or store digital assets or transact in digital assets that are securities. These and other services offered by platforms may trigger other registration requirements under the federal securities laws, including broker-dealer, broker transfer agent, or clearing agency registration, among other things. Okay, so that's fine. It's similar to an ETF. I'm sure that Facebook knows that there's going to be a bunch of regulatory stuff to jump through. They're a big, powerful, and sophisticated company. I'm sure they're ready for a bunch of this. So I can buy an ETF. 
that gives me exposure to owning a bunch of currencies, right? But I can't take that ETF that I bought in, in an exchange on, on a uh, securities exchange, I can't take that ETF and go buy a pack of gum with it, right? So that's what they're talking about with Libra. And so the New York Times points this out. Since the Civil War, the United States has had a general prohibition on the intersection between banking and commerce. Such a barrier has been reinforced many times, such as in 1956 with the Bank Holding Company Act and in 1970 with an amendment to that law during the conglomerate phase. Both times, Congress blocked banks from going into non-banking businesses through holding companies because Americans historically don't want banks competing with their own customers. Banking and payments is a special business where a bank gets access to intimate business secrets of its customers. Okay, they go on and make a different point that enabling an open flow of money across all borders is a political choice best made by governments and openness isn't always good. For example, most nations, especially the United States, use economic sanctions to bar individuals, countries, or companies from using our financial system in ways that harm our interests. Sanctions enforcement flows through the banking system. If you can't bank in dollars, you can't use dollars. The last thing I'll say is that the tax implications are a mess. I did, I did an, a, a, a podcast a while ago of talking about cryptocurrency in general, and I made this point, and that point is as applicable to Libra. Lacking additional guidance from the IRS, Libra will be, for, will be taxed as a form of property. And this means that any gain or loss will be calculated every time there's a transaction. The gain or loss is the price at the time of a transaction over the acquisition price. When you go buy a pack of gum with your Libra currency, the dollar value of the Libra when you buy the pack of gum compared to the dollar value when you bought Libra will trigger a capital gain or loss. And that the period will determine whether it's a short term or a long term. So that part of it is a total mess. And, uh, and so that still, that still exists. So the big picture, what do I think about all this? First, I think we could be seeing the mechanical way that this is mechanically how the dollar could lose its reserve currency status. Though it won't be through Libra, it, it could be through something that looks like it and works like it that central banks use that can be transactional in the way that this Libra like that this Libra thing is. I think the regulatory blizzard will be formidable. And like I said, no doubt Facebook understands this, the brace for it. But personally, I suspect it might be so overwhelming as to make it never get off the ground. China will, of course, say no. The US might say no. Most of the other countries that would benefit from access to Libra, like I was saying, countries that are not stable or have a depreciating currency. Let's take some place like Venezuela. Venezuela, for example, almost certainly would say no. They're trying to get people to hold their local currency, the Venezuela Bolivar, and stop it from depreciating. Giving people there the option of holding something else will certainly hold something else and make the Bolivar go down even faster. And so I think it's too bad because I, I think this would be a great test, a great test of how much does the mass public really care about those cryptocurrency features? The cipher, the, the features that I mentioned in the beginning, the cypherpunks 
were generally libertarian-minded uh, cryptographers who wanted money that was independent of government and big corporations. So while cryptocurrency seems pretty popular now, we we can uh, you know we we hear and read about it all the time, and lots of people are talking about it, and people own it. Actual adoption rates are pretty low. They're about one percent, is what what I've seen, what I've read. If we ever get into mass adoption, I wonder how much the general public will care about these features like centralization, trust minimization, or permissionless. So I don't know the answer to that. I thought this would have been really interesting to find out. I suspect that looking at how carefree people seem to be about what they post online about themselves, I suspect some of those ideological violations would not stop the adoption. That's all for now. Please let me know what you think.